Awesome, good deal. I'm going to be in Psalm 51 today. I'm doing a summer series from the book of Psalms on how to. And today we're going to talk about how to win other people to Jesus Christ. Uh, as I watch the news and see everything unfolding, not only here in the United States of America, but worldwide, I am reminded of this fact, that people everywhere need the Lord. Can I tell you, people need the Lord. People need Jesus. Jesus is the only answer. I'm, I'm here to tell you, we live in sinful and sorrowful times. But I believe that Jesus Christ provides the answers to the cries that we have in life. Jesus Christ alone can bring life into focus. Jesus Christ alone can give us victory. Jesus Christ alone gives us joy. Jesus Christ alone conquers sin, hell, and the grave. Jesus Christ replaces loneliness with love. He replaces heaviness with hope. Jesus changes lives. And people need the Lord. And here's the deal, church. God has called us and chosen us to be his instruments of that salvation. We have been given this word of hope, and we are to give this hope to a hopeless world. God has chosen us to spread the good news of the gospel. Jesus told us, the church, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said to us as believers, you shall be my witnesses. Paul said, we are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. The Bible also says that we are to be lights in this darkened world, holding out the word of life to a warped and wicked generation. Jesus is the answer. People need Jesus. Our job is to share Jesus. I guess the question I have to you today and to myself is, why aren't we doing a better job of it? I mean, it's one thing to watch the news and sit around and gripe and complain about the affairs of America and of the nation, and we all like to do that, don't we? It's another thing to do something about it. I think the most convicting question a preacher can ask a typical American congregation is this. How many people have you won to Jesus Christ? Or maybe more personally, who was the last person you told Jesus to? There are a lot of explanations for our evangelistic shortcomings, but there is one reason we seldom give to our lack of fervor in evangelism, and it is to that one reason I want to talk this morning. You see, whenever we give in to temptation, allowing sin to lodge in our life, it destroys our witness. And we become ineffective in evangelism. When there is sin in our life, we stop telling people about Jesus Christ. Unconfessed sin is the cholesterol that blocks the arteries of our evangelistic heart. Sin, like raw sewage, contaminates our soul winning. How do I know that? Because I've experienced that. 
When there is unconfessed sin in my life, I don't want to be around the things of God, the people of God, and I'm sure not going to tell a lost person about the joy of salvation when I'm dealing with unconfessed sin in my own life. But there's a Bible story that helps us understand this as well. It's found in King David. He is the illustration of this terrible truth. During the season when kings would go out to war, kind of like in football season. We've, anyway, that's a bad analogy, I guess. But it was the season of the year when kings would go out to war. King David didn't go to war. He remained in Jerusalem. He sent his men out to fight while he stayed in his palace. And one night, unable to sleep, he looked out from the top of his palace. And in the courtyard of an adjoining property, he saw a beautiful woman bathing in the moonlight. Well, with passions ignited, he sent for her. And he slept with her. And then he arranged for her husband's death. And the whole affair was tied up tighter than Watergate. The remarkable thing is this. Even after adultery, murder, and cover-up, David didn't feel guilty. He showed no signs of remorse whatsoever. His conscience had been drugged by the devil. And can I tell you something, church? That's the game the devil plays with us. He drugs our mind and our conscience. He begins with a lie, and then we believe that lie. It's a lie that said, oh, well, you know that's a sin, but it's okay for you to do that. God is giving you a free pass over that sin, it's okay if you indulge in that. No, I'm telling you, it's not okay if you do it. That's a lie the devil is telling you. And he told that lie to David, and David believed it. But God had a plan for David's life, and so God sent Nathan the prophet, a mighty man of insight and courage, who confronted David with his sin. Aren't you glad when God sends somebody into your life to confront you with your sin? No, you're usually not. And right now you're probably getting real uncomfortable with the way this sermon is headed. I, I understand that. But I love the story over in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan comes in to see the king. And he tells the king a story. He said, King, in a certain city there lived two men. One was a very rich and powerful man. He had a lot of cattle, a lot of livestock, a lot of lambs. He had servants galore. He was a rich and well-to-do man. On the other side of town, there was a poor man who just had his family. He had no livestock. He had no cattle. He only had one ewe lamb. And he had raised this little lamb from birth. And this little lamb was a part of his family. It ate at his table. It drank from his own cup. It slept with his children. And this man treated that ewe lamb, Nathan said, like his daughter. Well, one day, a traveler came to see the rich man. And the rich man, thinking, well, I've got to feed this guy, but you know what? I don't want to feed this guy with my livestock. Oh, there's a poor man across town who has a lamb. I saw him carrying that lamb just the other day. And so he sent one of his servants to take the poor man's lamb. He killed that poor man's ewe lamb and fed the traveler with the meat. David was enraged. 
David became angry. He said, my goodness, I can't believe there's anyone in my kingdom who would act like that. That man shall surely pay for that sin with his own life. And before he dies, he's going to have to repay that four times over. <laughs> I mean, Nathan was setting him up, wasn't he? Because you know the story. Nathan turned on the king. and I, They didn't wear glasses back then, but I'm sure if he did, he would have pushed his glasses up. And here's what he said, David, thou art the man. You're the one who's done this. And the Bible says all of a sudden the blinders fell from David's eyes and he saw the nightmare of his own sin in all of its horror. And with that he became a broken man, a repentant man. And out of that broken repentance, David wrote Psalm 51. It is a psalm of repentance. This particular psalm is among the deepest and most moving passages found in the Word of God. And the first cry that comes from Psalms 51 is a cry for pardon. David is pleading with God to forgive him. Look at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. Notice that David uses three different phrases to describe his adultery, his murder, and its cover-up. First of all, he asked God to blot out his transgressions. The word transgressions implies rebellion. Did you know that our hearts are rebellious by nature? That's why you don't have to teach a two-year-old to be naughty. There is a rebellious spirit inside of us, and we are guilty of high treason against God every time we sin. So David begs God to blot out all his transgressions. The word blot means to erase or to remove. And so I want you to see the picture that David is painting for us here. It is a picture of a record that is being erased. Let me say it like this. What if I had a huge marker board up here and the Lord gave me insight to every sin or iniquity that you've ever committed, every sin you've ever committed from the time you were a little kid until now, and I started writing all those sins down. It doesn't matter how big that marker board is, I would probably run out of space with most of you. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> okay, so you see that? All of the sins you've ever committed are on this board. But if you ask God to blot out those transgressions as David was praying, what it means is this, the Holy Spirit would come and with a big eraser, he would just mark them all out. He would erase all of them. You see that? That's what David is praying. Number two, he prayed, God, wash away my iniquity. The word wash is a powerful word in the Hebrew language, which includes the idea of pounding or stamping or vigorously rubbing in order to loosen dirt. David is saying, Lord, 
pound out, stomp out against me on the washboard of your holiness the dirt that is in my life. Loosen the dirt in my heart. It's a picture, a word picture, of a garment or a robe that's being washed on a washboard and all the dirt is being removed from it. Do you see that? Then number three, he says, cleanse me from my sin. The Hebrew word sin means miss the mark. God has set a mark or a standard for holiness. Sin is missing that mark. And on our own, we can never reach God's standard because there's sin in our life. And so he's saying, Lord, cleanse me from my sin. The word cleanse implies the healing of a disease. So when a man or a woman was cured of some horrible disease like leprosy in the Old Testament, they were said to have been cleansed. And so this is the picture of a disease which has been healed in your body. That's what David prayed. God, blot out my transgressions, wash me of my iniquities, cleanse me from my sin. Now, what does that mean for us today? Well, maybe you're here today and you have your own record that needs to be erased. Are you with me? Maybe you're here today and your life is like a garment or a robe that needs to be washed because your life is filthy. Or maybe you have a disease in your soul that needs to be cleansed. Can you relate to any of that? Man, I say, I sure can because I have plenty in my life that needs to be erased. My life in and of itself is filthy and dirty. It, need, it needs to be washed. And I have a disease inside of me that only the blood of Jesus can cleanse. Yes, I can identify to all three things that David said. Maybe you can as well. So here's the answer for us this morning. we got to fall on our face just like David did. And we need to pray as David prayed. God, blot out my transgressions. Lord, wash away my iniquities. Lord, cleanse me from my sins. Wow. He continues to pray in verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Now, these verses bother some people because David declares that he has sinned against God and against God only. And those people in response say, well, didn't he sin against Bathsheba? Didn't he sin against Uriah? Didn't David sin against the nation of Israel? Didn't he sin against his own body? And the answer is yes. But let me ask you this. Whose law did he break? Whose holiness did he violate? Whose commandments did he disobey? God's. And God's alone. Church, listen to me. All sin is ultimately against God. When we sin, it's against God. Does it affect other people? You better believe it does. But our sin is against God. David continues in verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Now, I was raised in church. Uh, back, when, back when I was born, 1961, 
they hadn't figured out that mothers are to keep their babies in for like three or four months before they take them out or anything like that. So like the very next Sunday after I was out of the womb, I was at the Westside Free Will Baptist Church on Sunday morning. You know, okay? That's just the way I was raised. I was in church all my life. And, and let me tell you, I can remember things my preachers said to me. That, that honestly kind of helps me and inspires me to, to realize, you know what? Maybe, maybe what I do on Sunday mornings is doing some good, and maybe seeds are being plant in, planted in minds. Because I can remember things my preacher preached. And when I was in high school in Lubbock, Texas, my pastor all those years was a guy named Keith Woody. And if Keith said this one time, Keith said it a hundred times. I can remember him saying it almost every time he preached. He would say, we are sinners by nature, and we are sinners by choice. And I can remember him saying that. And I would, I would think, yeah, yeah, we are. But you know, it wasn't until I, I really matured and grew up and studied the Word of God that I realized the truth that my preacher was telling me on Sunday mornings. We are sinners by nature, and we are sinners by choice. There are really two levels of our own sinfulness. On the upper level, we are sinners because we choose to sin. Sin is a choice. You don't have to sin. But when you sin, you choose to sin. Then on a deeper level, we choose to sin because there is a sinful nature in each of us which we inherited from Adam and Eve. We have been sinful from the moment our mothers conceived us. It's our nature. Uh, when, when we were raising the kids, we'd go to the zoo quite often. We, we'd been to all the zoos around here and in other states. and the Animals intrigued me. Okay. Do they intrigue you? Uh, I could go on and on talking about animals and people who own animals and how the animal looks like the person and that kind of stuff. But anyway, I won't get into that. What, what I've noticed through the years is that every animal was created with a certain nature. Like, it's the nature of a little puppy dog to be playful and happy and like to stomp around and play and bark and bite. And then they just wear themselves out and they lay down and fall asleep. For hours, and they wake up and they do it again. It is the nature of a lion to roar and to kill. And I'm here to tell you, it is the nature of you and me to sin. Just like a snake coils, and just like a rooster crows, you and I sin. It's our nature. So we are sinners by nature and sinners by choice. David realized that. He recognized that. And so he cries out for mercy in verses 1 through 6. It is a plea for pardon. And I've got to stop right there and do a timeout and ask you, friend, when was the last time you came before the Lord in brokenness, confession, and repentance? And like the publican in the gospel cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the prayer of the first six verses. Then David continues in verses 7 and following to take it a step further. David proceeds to pray for purity. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Chances are, unless you grew up in church, you don't know what hyssop is. Because we don't grow hyssop 
in the river valley. It takes us back to the Old Testament. Remember the children of Israel? They were, they were facing Passover night in Egypt as the death angel was going to strike the firstborn of every family. Moses told them to paint their doorposts with the blood of the lamb. And then the death angel would pass over any house who had the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost. So every father in Egypt of Israel took the branch of a hyssop plant and used it like a paintbrush. He would take this plant, dip it in the blood of the lamb, and apply it to the doorpost. Well, I'm here today. The whole thing is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, his blood was shed. He was slaughtered on Calvary's hill, and his blood ran onto the ground. And the Bible teaches us that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. Can I tell you something, folks? Only the blood of Jesus can take away your sins. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's what David meant when he said, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. It was referring to the blood of Jesus Christ. Because only the blood, only the blood of Jesus can take away your sins. I read a true story about a, a, a chemistry professor at a college. Now, the, you don't hear about this on CNN. <laughs> or any other news network, all right? But here's what this chemistry professor did. In the course of an experiment, he gave his students a little fleck of gold, a little piece of gold, and he told them their job was to dissolve that gold. And so they left it all night in the strongest acid that they had, and it failed to do the job. They tried various combinations, but nothing worked, and finally they admitted to their professor they had failed. They could not dissolve that gold. So he smiled and said, try this. And he handed them a special bottle of acid, and as they applied the acid to the flake of gold, immediately the gold dissolved. And then this old chemistry professor said, this acid is called royal water. Sometimes it's called the king's water, because it has mastered the gold. And gold is resistant to almost all kinds of acids, but this one acid is stronger than the gold. Therefore, they have called it royal water or king's water because it will dissolve the gold of a king. And then to their surprise, he said, Class, I'd like to take this time to tell you that there is another substance just as impervious as gold. It cannot be touched or changed, through a, though a hundred attempts have been made. The substance I'm speaking of is the human heart. Trial, affliction, riches, honor, or punishment will not soften the human heart. There is only one element that has the power over the sin of the human heart, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's only Son. Well, good job for that chemistry, professor. Huh? The Bible affirms that. When it says the blood of Jesus Christ 
cleanses us from all of our sins. But the blood has to be applied. So friend, have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? David continues his prayer in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. It's not enough just to be pardoned. Let that sink in. It's not enough just to be pardoned. We need to be purified. It isn't enough just to have our sins forgiven. We need righteousness bestowed upon us. We need God to make us Christ-like, to make us holy. So David cried, create in me a pure heart, O God. That should be the cry of every believer. Create in me a clean heart, O God. He goes on to say in verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You have to remember in Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit didn't come to live in every believer like he does in the New Testament. Rather, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon certain men at certain times for certain tasks. David was surely thinking of what had happened to King Saul. When Saul had been chosen as Israel's king, the Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him for service. But then King Saul sinned against God. He turned his back on God. And God took the Holy Spirit from Saul and left him to his own devices. Now David realized, I've sinned too. Lord, don't let me end up like Saul. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, just like it was taken from Saul. So he prays in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me, uphold me by your generous spirit. You know, as I, as I was writing this and thinking about you, I, I realized that there are going to be some people in this room today whose lives are just jammed up with unconfessed sin. Of course, my advice to you in the first place is just do what's right. <laughs> you know, let's just do what's right. If you're a Christian, that means you're a follower of Jesus. That means you do the right thing. Okay. You're going to save yourself a whole lot of trouble and me a whole lot of trouble if you just do the right thing, man. Why is that so hard for us? Just do the right thing. I don't, my mind's spinning right now. You know, Callie, my middle daughter, went back to Baylor last Sunday. Uh, she's got a job, working a job, and, and she's going to start school next week. So she's been back in Waco for, for less than a week. My daughter, Callie, is, is not only beautiful, she is a talented little girl. She is so smart and so bright and can do so many things well. I mean, she can do so many things well. There's one thing, however, she doesn't do as well as the other things. And I should have known it back when she was just a little bitty girl. We bought her one of those Barbie Jeeps that are battery-operated. You know, if y'all know what I'm talking about. 
And we let her out in the front yard in that Barbie Jeep, and it was, it was mayhem. It was chaos. She, she put the pedal to the floor, and she didn't let up, and she was driving everywhere. Russ, she ran into trees. She went down into a ditch. I mean, she, she ran into us. I mean, she was, she was a reckless, horrible driver. And I prayed through the years that that would get better. Well, it hasn't. She scares me to death. I, doesn't she? I, I mean, I hardly will ride with her. She, look at my two. And I hope this is not... Re- cut this out. Devin, cut this out. She's not live streaming. She's at church today. But, but here's my point. She's, she's not the best driver. Okay, you get that? It's not her gift. Driving is not her gift. The other night, she was parallel parking in Waco. I don't know that she can parallel. Apparently, she can't parallel park. Because she backed into the bumper of this other guy's SUV. She called, and she was all upset. And she said, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm writing him a note right now. I put it on his windshield because I can't find him. I don't know who the owner of this car is until I'm writing a note. What information do I need to put? And so we kind of coached her through it. And she left the note. A couple of days later, the person contacted her and said, here's what they said. I can't believe you left a note on my windshield. Thank you so much for leaving a note. Are you following what I'm telling you guys? Because most people, I remember the, the, the show this guy ran into somebody in a parking lot and he was writing a note and he left it on the windshield and in the note he said I ran into your car and I'm writing this note because people are watching me I'm not leaving any of my information you're on your own and he left it okay are you following what I'm saying you do the right thing are you with me it's who we are. There was no question Callie was going to leave a note. The only question she had is, what information do I put in that note? We do the right thing. You need to do the right thing. Always you need to do the right thing. Maybe you haven't been doing the right thing and your life is literally jammed up with unconfessed sin. You need the kind of broken humility that David had in this passage. You need to pray to God for pardon and purity. You need to pray Psalm 51 with all your heart. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. Create a new heart inside of me, God. Help me to do right and live right and be right. And here's the cool thing. If you do that, Well, the result is going to be a return to evangelism. Look at verse 13. David said, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Church, listen to me. When our souls are clean and holy and open and yielded vessels for Jesus Christ, pardoned and purified by His blood, we will be filled with the Spirit of God. We will be thrilled By serving Jesus, we will be excited to tell others what Jesus has done for us. We will be full of hope, and our lives will be contagious. And we're going to be burdened for the lost. And souls are going to be saved. 
True story about a, a young lady who went to work at an office where there were 200 other people in this large room all working together. You know how things are nowadays that nobody has their own cubicle anymore. Everybody's just out on the floor together. She had been praying about a job. God gave her this job and uh, she had worked it for a couple of we weeks and realized very quickly that she was the only Christian out of all the other people in that room. So there were 199 unbelievers. She was the only believer. And so she came to her pastor on church one Sunday and said, Pastor, I, I, you know, you helped me pray for this job, but I really think I'm going to have to quit the job. I'm the only Christian there, and I don't think I can go back another day and listen to everything I have to listen to. Their, their talk is filthy. They tell horrible stories. They talk about people they've slept with, and they are constantly making fun of me because I don't talk like that, live like that, and do that. They are using profane language that I haven't heard in years, and they think I'm a nerd because I follow Jesus. It is a terrible place to work, and I don't think I can continue to work there. Well, the pastor thought for a second, and then he, he said, Sister, don't you realize those are the very reasons God placed you there? I mean, God looked all over this city searching for one Christian whom he could use in the middle of 200 lost sinners. And I congratulate you because God chose you. And I know that you're not going to let God down. And then he said this, listen to this. You are the only witness that they have. So she went back to work and she saw things in a different light. She began praying that God would give her opportunities to speak for him to these people. She let her light shine. She did her work with joy and gladness. And guess what? When they started having problems, who did they go to to talk to? They went to her. And over the course of the year, she was able to lead three people to Jesus Christ and plant the seed in many others' hearts. Hmm. Wow! <laughs> Isn't that amazing? But guys, let me tell you something. That is exactly what God wants to do with you. So, if there is unconfessed sin in your life, will you listen to me and understand it is wrecking your witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the most important statement I've made all day. Listen to this. There are people who may be lost forever because you can't keep your Christian life in good enough shape to witness to them. So let's clean it up. Let's make a new start today. Let's make Psalm 51 our prayer. Let's confess our sins. Let's turn from them. Let's ask God to pardon us and purify us. Let's pray, God, create a clean heart in me and restore to me the joy of my salvation. I guarantee you, if you pray that prayer this morning with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you'll get up and leave this building a different person than when you came. Your light will be shining and you will be able to accomplish the task that God has given you. And that is to share the good news with the world. Because listen to me, people need the Lord. People need Jesus.
And if they're going to be told, you've got to tell them. And you can't do that if sin is clogging up your life. So let's do this together today. Let's all, let's, every one of us, whether we come to the altar or whether we do it right where we're seated, seated let's get things right with God. And guys, let me tell you, that probably doesn't just include a couple of us. That probably includes most of us in this room. Let's get things right with God.